Hello, coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Her Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories from amazing women who have reinvented their careers or lives. Could be total changes, could be side hustles. I'm Stephanie Pierce, mother of three, wife of one, former corporate exec, and now I am the founder and CEO of StephPierce.com. And I am Julie Burton, founder of Modern Well, a female-centered co-working space in Minneapolis. And I'm the author of The Self-Care Solution, A Modern Mother's Must-Have Guide to Health and Well-Being. And I'm a mother and a wife. In each episode, Julie and I will bring you these awesome stories about the power, pain, and laughs that come from change. Are you ready for your next chapter? Hello, Stephanie. Are we in person? <laughs> we are in person. Have I arrived? Yes. Here, I made it. I made At it here. Well. Yes, here I did. We We're in the well. It was snowing. It was snowing this morning yes. when I left. Mm-hmm. And um, the sun is out, though. The sun is out. That's what's but deceiving about But not like in California, where our guest is right. and where we just were. <laughs> On we a were girlfriend trip. Yeah, we were in your ne- our neck of the woods of our guests. So we can talk about California. We have really something special for you, dear listeners, today and our guest. Yes. Whose name may be familiar to you. And there's so many things like I could just spend 15 minutes on the bio right. alone. <laughs> um, but I want to give you some highlights. So our guest today is Christine Carlson who is the co-author with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, of the New York Times bestselling book, which I think we are all familiar with and have probably read several times, Yes, uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, which I like to think of as that could probably be the name of my autobiography, Sweating the Small Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Sweating the Small Stuff until she died. Me too. I know. I need to reread and reread. Right. <laughs> but what's even more exciting is the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and uh, the story of our guest is going to be featured this fall on everyone's favorite Lifetime movie and um, based on uh, the book Heartbroken Open, A True Story of Coming Alive Again After Profound Loss, which I'm excited to hear a little bit more about. It's going to be starring Heather Locklear, which wow. isn't that one of those things where you think <laughs> who would play you in a movie? Right, right. Our guest actually knows. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear about that. But that's not all. Like, I, I know I said I could spend a lot, to, a lot of time, but I want to cover a couple of these things because I think we are going to talk about it. So Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was not small stuff. Over 30 million of those books are in print. Our guest, Christine, has done all the shows. She's done Oprah. She's done The View. She's done Today. And beyond the books, um, she offers a retreat for women. And I think this is going to be very interesting for people uh, to listen, our listeners, to think about is the program is called What Now? Which I think is pretty much a question that we have asked with every single podcast we've done. Mm -hmm. It's a What Now? program, and it's for navigating transition and change. Our guest also has a podcast, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And is also a motivational speaker. So, like I said, I could go on. I'm the Heather Locklear part, I got to say. 
I mean, that's, we, uh, <laughs> that's darn we'll cool. Let, we'll let Christine say more about Christine, that. Christine, welcome <laughs> to her hey. next chapter. Hey, ladies. You guys are so much fun, you gals. Stephanie and Julie, how fun. <laughs> we fun try. Podcast. We try to have fun. We try to laugh. <laughs> so we are Gotta so, laugh. yes, we are beyond excited to have you. And there's so many different places we could go. And one of them will definitely be talking a little bit about Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And, you know, I'd love to hear about the learnings that you've seen or heard with all of the probably hundreds of thousands of millions of people that you've spoken to. But first... Welcome. Thank you. We like to start with two questions. Our first question is, you know, talk to us a little bit about what reinvention means to you. And then tell us a little bit about your reinvention story. I obviously covered a couple of things, but I hit the highlights and we'd love to hear a little bit more from you as well. So welcome. And let's talk reinvention. All right. Well, when I think of reinvention, I, I think that we go through many different reinventions in our lifetime. And it's usually brought on by navigating a large change or transition, usually because our ego gets completely annihilated in that change and transition. And it leaves us with a feeling of wondering who we are now. It can also happen at different pivotal times in your life where you want to make a change and transition and you just want to do something completely differently because you've had the insight that life isn't exactly, you're not in your life exactly where you want to be and you know there's something more or different for you. Maybe it's a different career. Maybe it's not a career. Maybe you decide that you're going to go through a reinvention because you want to start a family. I know for myself, I've been through many different reinventions in my lifetime. And it's almost as if, and I'm sure you both feel this way too. It's like as if you have these segments of your life, you know, the the time when you grew up with your parents and then you reinvented when you went off to college. And then you, if you had the opportunity to go to college or maybe at that point, that pivotal point, you started working, whatever it was there's these time periods where we have these natural reinventions. And then we have these other times where things happen, change happens, and we are kind of forced to reinvent. Maybe you have been told that you have an illness and you have to reinvent your life around that illness, or perhaps you didn't realize once you had that first child that you were going to have to reinvent your life around that first child. Like me, I just thought my first child was going to sit happily in a playpen and I was just going to keep working. (laughs) My husband and I thought that our daughter would just go around with us and it would all be great. It didn't happen like that. No, no. She was the biggest whiner you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Never stopped whining. Now she, she's still a big, she's got a big personality. She talks a lot and now, you know, but, and then, then there's the other, there's the other kinds of reinventions that naturally happen when your kids grow up, you know, you have the empty nest where you find yourself, where you've been so busy doing and doing and being for your family. And then they're suddenly not needing you as much anymore. And you have to reinvent. Well, how am I going to spend my days? What am I going to put my attention on? And then there's the other kinds of reinventions that happen through changes and transitions that you don't 
count on. Like, and I'll go into my major story of reinvention happened when my husband got on an airplane to travel promoting his latest book. And on the descent of that flight, um, at 45 years old, he had a pulmonary embolism and died. And I was 43. He was 45. Yeah, we were in midlife, but you know, you don't think your life partner is just going to die in midlife. I don't think any of us think that. And he certainly didn't seem like he was. So it was a shocking, um, a real shocking time for me and my girls and certainly a time of reinvention. And I like to say, you know, a lot of people say reinventing is about um, creating who you want to be. Or, and I always say for me and that time in my life, reinventing was about allowing life and my circumstances to reveal who I am Mm -hmm. because it was such a soul searching journey to go through that kind of devastating loss and then to emerge, literally emerge as the woman I am today. And it it wasn't a quick, uh, a quick process, you know? (laughs) It was about a 10-year reinvention, I would say. I'm probably ready to reinvent again, quite honestly. (laughs) But not that way. (laughs) No, no. Well, so sorry about about your loss. and, and, um, And obviously, it says a lot about you to be sitting here, you know, today with us talking about about how you found your way to use resiliency and, and, um, what, what were some of the things that you, that you drew upon during, during that time of, of transition and and reinvention to kind of come out 10 years later, like you are today as just strong, powerful leader? You know, that's, um, that's such a great question. And I have to say that, you know, I think the biggest thing that I did during the early times in grief were I just really allowed myself to grieve, you know, and I think um, healing in the beginning is really your primary concern is to heal because what, what I didn't know was how wounded you are when you go through loss. You're like a, a wounded animal for a time and, and life gets, is very scary. You know, it, it's, it's very scary to go from suddenly having somebody in your bed for, you know, 25 years to they're just gone, you know, and, and, and you don't, you really don't know who you are without that person. I didn't know who I was without Richard. I, I really hadn't experienced myself on my own since I had been 18 years old. So it it was, it was really shocking. And what, what I think I was very prepared for on some level that maybe many people weren't was I had done so much personal growth work and so much prior healing. And and we had, we really did live a philosophy and that is the don't sweat the small stuff philosophy. And well, that doesn't change the fact that you're going to go through, you know, many aspects of grief that that philosophy doesn't necessarily address straight on, you know, whereas like, I didn't realize like, how physically, you know, physical grief was, you know, that, that it, it felt like such a physical loss to have him 
gone. Whereas spiritually, I felt him all around me. Spiritually, I felt like he was more with me than I'd even ever been with him in life. So there was a very deep revelation time for me. And I, it was a very spiritual, soulful self-discovery process that I went through. And, and it, it's just, it's, it was fascinating because I'm immediately, you know, I was like, you know, questioning things that I, I mean, you just think you're crazy, you know, like the, the kinds of thoughts you have immediately, like I'm thinking, what am I going to do about sex? You know, <laughs> I was like 43 and I'm like, what am I going to do about sex? How do I do that? Like, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> that was like one of my first, like really first thoughts a few days after he died. <laughs> You know, I mean, how crazy is that? You're thinking that, you know, um, I just allowed myself a lot of time and space to grieve. I would get my kids off to school and I would go home and I would sit in, in silence or I'd go for a walk with a girlfriend, a girlfriend that could really hold me if I broke down and just started bawling, you know, and, and I cried a lot. I really allowed myself to cry. I, you know, it was funny. I was never much of a crier. In fact, I always stop myself from crying because I would always say, God, well, if you can't be happy like today, who can be? Like, I, I just have the perfect life, I thought. So why would I have anything to cry about? And I don't think that was super healthy. Like, I realize now that was just that was just something I told myself. It, it, I think that it's crying is super healthy now. And and it certainly made me feel so much better to access those tears in fact, now I have this dry eyed condition because I feel like I cried all my tears out. <laughs> and I don't cry very often again. <laughs> so I, you know, I think that these uh, emotions, these feelings that come in waves of grief are really healthy. And, and we don't have to think of grief as a horrible enemy. We can think of grief as a time period and almost a friend that's come to heal you. And no, it doesn't feel good to grieve. It feels, it feels pretty lousy, but it feels pretty good when you get through that wave. Like if you allow yourself to really notice, if you have a, a deep wave of grief at the other side, it's kind of like you're, you're a little bit exhausted and spent, but you feel peaceful. And I think that's the body's way of recognizing that grief is a healthy thing. And that getting grief out of your body is very healthy because I feel like I hear from people all the time that they're just still in such deep grief and it's years and years and years later. And I think, well, I always say, you know, grief doesn't go away. Grief waits until you're ready to experience it, until you're ready mm -hmm. to go through it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's a process, you know, it's a process of healing and that's the way we really need to think about it. We need to give ourselves a lot of space and time for healing. It's not a week. It's not two weeks, not a month. It can be years. We don't know, you know, we don't know when we're going to come to that level of acceptance of our loss and, and it's a layered process, but it's, it's not all, it's not all like darkness and sorrow. I mean, it's, it's got moments of laughter and, you know, joy and, and you don't have to feel guilty about having joy because joy gets you to the next day sometimes, you know, and, and we have to allow ourselves all of those feelings. And, and then I think we learn a lot about ourselves. You know, that's where the reinvention reveal process comes from is that your circumstances of life don't make or break you, but they do allow you to show up 
and how you're going to show up. And that can't, that's not great every day. Like some days you're going to show up really well and other days you're not. And that's part of the gentleness and compassion, you know, practice that you have to put into place is being gentle, kind, and, and highly compassionate with yourself. Well, I'm sorry. I haven't even taken a breath. Here you go. You I wish we were live so that you, I want everyone to visualize <laughs> Julie and I have that face that like intent face with your eyes wide open yeah. and like your mouth <laughs> slightly open. We're like, oh, just keep oh. talking. Just keep talking. So here's my question. I'm wondering about today. So what is life like for you today? How are you spending your time? What what's the most recent reinvention and what are you up to? Wow. Um, that's so funny. I, I mean, I feel like I'm always reinventing on some level now, you know, whether it be my relationship with another man or my, you know, my home life, like my kids are coming and going, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or um, I don't know, you know, that like, or in, in business, as you know, there's just so many different um, avenues now to express ourselves. So one of my reinventions recently was to start a business with Deborah Evans, who's a really wonderful developmental editor that I worked with on my last book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. And we started bookdoulas.com, which is a book we help other people become authors and write their books, and we help them build their platforms, and, and we're even getting into publishing. So I have to say that's my most recent exciting reinvention. And you know, and I love that. I think that that's what I love so much about being an entrepreneur, which I consider the author space very much the entrepreneur space now, is there's just always some new area to play in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or even like with a podcast, you know, it's like reinventing the podcast every six shows, you know, and saying, I want to do a new series. What do I want to do with this series? You know, like who do I want to contact to be on? Like, what do I want to, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to learn about? And, and I think that that's the, um, that's the, at, at a very pinnacle part of reinvention, there has to be curiosity over fear. You know, like that curiosity is, is really important because we have to be super curious about what are we excited about and super curious about maybe there's something we don't know. And that we want to learn, you know, because I think that reinvention time, it can be very scary for people because mm-hmm. um, they're not used to not feeling like uh, in control. But when we think about reinvention and, and the unknown, the unknown is actually one of the most creative spaces there is. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not known, that means that if you have some curiosity, then you go on a little journey of an, an adventure and, and that adventure can include maybe like you're reinventing where you want to live. Mm-hmm. I know a bunch of couples now that are moving out of the Bay area and they're like, well, you don't know where to live. I go, well, why don't you just like get a camper or something and just go or Airstream and just go drive around <laughs> and stay different places. That sounds so much fun <laughs> and figure out what do I, you know, stay in a, stay in a city for, you know, a couple weeks, go to a new city, go to a new place. I mean, I've thought about doing that myself, except that I have five grandchildren now, all in mm-hmm. in a certain all in the Bay Area or in Mount Shasta. And so I 
I don't, I don't really think I'll live that far from them because I love being a part of their lives so much. So, um, but if I, if I was in a different place, that's what I would do. I would, I would look at it um, like a, a, an adventure. And certainly I've learned that life is totally an adventure and there really isn't a wrong choice. There's only a choice. And that choice will take you to another place. And then at that place, you can make a new choice. And then you keep making choices. And, and sometimes doors open, sometimes doors slam. You know, I'm one that says, well, if I keep hitting closed doors, that's a sure sign I'm going in the wrong direction. <laughs> 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 I'm more like, okay, that's too hard. You know, it was way too much effort. So then you just, you move a little bit to the left and you go in a new direction. And when things start opening up and, and it feels still exciting, you know, then that's a good indication you're moving in the right direction. And one of the things I always tell widows and widowers is you don't have to know what life is going to look like even a week from now. All you have to ask yourself every single moment is to follow a breadcrumb, a breadcrumb of something that gives you hope something that gives you light, something that you feel interested in. Excitement and grief isn't really a possibility, but interest is, or what feels good to you, you know? And, and those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves at all times is, you know, what does excite us? What, what in this moment, if it was your highest intention to live passionately would excite you to do mm-hmm. like right now, I'm super excited to be talking to you ladies, you know, and <laughs> I don't want to be talking to anybody else right now. So I'm really excited about that. And, and you don't have to know more than that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. life has a way of, of leading you um, based on just that one question alone, what excites you? I love that. And I, I, I love what you said, you know, really about that being in that place of uncertainty and not knowing is just kind of this huge opportunity, right? It's like, it's like people get so scared of if you don't have the answer to, you know, what do you want? What is next? Right. And, and nobody wants to say, I don't know. Right. Cause we all feel like, we should know and, and we should have the answers. But I love, I, I think it's so important to, and, and what you said about that is is just to let yourself be curious around it, right? And like, it, it's okay if, I mean, we were on a girl's trip, Steph and I, with a friend this weekend and we were talking about the question to me, right? Was, what do you want? What, you know, and I was like, I don't know. And I was like feeling like ashamed of it, like like I should know. But I really think that that I'm like so inspired by you now because it's like, OK, this is so cool. Right. Like I have an opportunity to reinvent every and moment, so every moment. <laughs> right. And I also it also makes me think back. I mean, I read that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, like like a Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, re- I really because I for sure, like Steph said, I all the small stuff, sweating, sweating. And I think that it applies to reinvention, right? Like, because if you're sweating, you have to get out of your own way, right? Because if you're so busy, worried about this, that, and the other thing, you don't even have the space in your mind or your heart or your spirit to think, 
just have clarity, right? If if so, I'd love to. I'd love to hear you talk about that book, like, <laughs> and and those messages, and how you use it in the work that you do today, and 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 just and also just what a beautiful connection to your husband, your late husband, that just never never dies, right? Never. Yeah, it really doesn't. You know. There's Richard wrote about 10 books before he came out with don't sweat the small stuff. And he had a whole body of work and, and his, um, his book, you can be happy no matter what the five principles, your therapist never told you. I think that was originally the subtitle five principles, keeping life in perspective is the current subtitle on that book is it really is a philosophy that don't sweat the small stuff is really, it's almost like that's at the center of the books, all of the books. And then, and then all of the chapters, because they're so story and anecdotal oriented are kind of um, carved around this philosophy. And so, you know, we were kind of in the early group of people that really understood that your mental health and well-being had everything to do with what we called your psychological functioning. And, and that was really around these five principles of understanding how your thoughts affect your reality, understanding that your thoughts affect your moods. Moods is one of the principles. Understanding feelings and that all of those, the thoughts, moods, and feelings are all interconnected. Understanding separate realities that we all live, um, viewing the world through our own lens, and then living in the present moment. And so, if you if you if you pay attention, you know much of the philosophy in all of the chapters is about those kinds of um, those principles, and also gratitude, kindness, and compassion. Um, you know, those are the other three things that we really you know focused a lot in our own personal philosophy around. And so also early on, Richard really showed that it is how you practice life, that you can change your life by just practicing it differently, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's so important because it's not it's not like these big things that you do every day. One of the reasons why the books were so successful is because it is, it's so doable. It's like, how hard is it to sit down and write a heartfelt letter to somebody, you know, but now science, the science of happiness shows us that, you know, that that's, those are the kinds of practices, gratitude practices. We talked about gratitude long before it was a popular thing to talk about gratitude, you know, but Science now shows us that these things really do impact our happiness level and our our mental health and well-being. We boost our joy by tuning into our gratitude because gratitude is is it's joy in the heart. The heart feels joy when we focus on our gratitude. So you know it, it, this is mm-hmm. like these are why the don't sweat the small stuff books sold so well and why they still sell well today is because. Um, people can relate to them. Mm -hmm. We all basically want the same things from life. You know, we want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want our family to thrive. Um, We want to thrive. You know, uh, we want to, I I don't think anybody sets out in their life saying, I want to be a mean person. Mm 
or I want to be a negative person, or I want to, you know, I don't think anybody, there's not a person alive that, that set that intention for themselves. Now people do turn into that, but that's how they practice life. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but anybody can change their lives and anybody can improve their lives and their relationships with others by, by just some small things that they have to have the awareness of and could to practice in their lives. And yeah. So, I mean, is there any other question about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, you know, it's that's a, great. It's an I mean, interesting it's thing. So I remember true. being in corporate America and feeling like I had to know what I was going to do 100% mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. I left because you don't, you know, no MBA grad was like <laughs> leaving their really great job and just stepping out on, I don't know. Like that. <laughs> And I remember someone said to me, if you wait until you have it all figured out and ticked and tied in a very meticulous way, you're going to be there a long time. Mm -hmm. And so you do kind of have to step out on a little bit of faith. I'm wondering, because I'm guessing you've had a chance to talk to a lot of people, Christine, in in your your time. And I'm, I'm particularly interested in, as you think about work that you've done with people around navigating change and transition, and in particular women, what do you find yourself repeating to them? Like, what's the stuff that you say over and over, regardless of the type of change or transition that could be really helpful for our listeners to kind of hear and know? Well, the one thing I find myself teaching a lot and noticing is that when you, when you find somebody stuck, there's a few reasons. There's a lot of reasons why they might be stuck, but one of them is that, you know, you see a lot of women coming out of divorce and um, in, especially in the reinvention space, you know, it's not just the loss of a spouse, you know, from death, but divorce, you know, same kind of loss in a lot of ways. And these women feel very victimized. And I think, you know, for me, the one real huge pivot a person can make in their lives is to decide and to know that they aren't a victim of their circumstances. And that no matter what has happened, if you have that feeling of being a victim and you're carrying that, that's going to be a really hard hole to climb out of. And it's not a very creative space. It kind of keeps you very, very stuck in a mentality of poor me. And poor me is never going to be the place where you're going to reinvent your most powerful self, you know? So I always gently coax somebody out of that idea that they are a victim. And with saying that, I want to say that it's very natural for us to vacillate between being a victor or a hero and being a victim, you know, like every day is different and different things happen in our lives. But I think the one thing is you, you have to know that you cannot live at the affect of circumstances, that circumstances will bring change and change is imminent all the time. It's always happening if you don't understand that you cannot live at the effect of circumstances, then you will be victimized by circumstances. And that was the one thing that I knew going into my loss that really, really helped me was that 
my philosophy was that really we find reason in everything that happens and that everything that happens happens for us. Now that didn't make me say, whoopee, yay, my husband died. (laughs) No. However, I said, my husband died and he counted for so much in my life. He changed my life by being loved by him, by loving him, by building the life that we did. And I said, by God, I am not going to let his death be anything but a catalyst for my growth. Mm. Because I knew that there on some level are no accidents, that everything in life happens for us. And I did not believe that life happens to us. You know, and these were not circumstances I could change or control. But I knew that they presented something really big for me in my life and that I didn't know what that was. And I certainly didn't welcome it when it happened, but I realized it right away that I needed to step into this change and allow this to count for growth. And those are the choices that you get to make when something like that happens to your life. Not that it happened. You don't get that choice, but you get the choice in how are you going to navigate it? How are you going to step in? And that's powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it, and it helps a lot, you know, it, it helps, it helps to find your strength, you know, and, and to um, live a more empowered life when you're not a victim of your circumstances. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I, and I think too, you know, what you said before, it's important to, to remember that it, that it's a process, right? Like, like you didn't wake up the next day after he died at that place, but that it, that over the doing the work and over two days later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. It's a process. However, I think like for me, like I said, I was a little more prepared because I had done so much personal growth work and philosophical work than a lot of people. So mine was a little different than I find most people are in. And I, I, I felt very blessed and fortunate for that, you know, that I did actually have that conversation with myself Mm -hmm. very, very early. But I think that, that I was really called to do this work too, you know, Mm -hmm. so it was, like I said, there's no accidents. And I, you know, I was pretty certain that this was going to count for something big in my life. And it sure has, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lifetime. Movie. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> out in October. That's a so- surprise. Well, yeah, it came out in October of this. It was, it's out. So it'll be on a second round of showings. If you search it, you can find it now. It's called um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, the Christine Carlson story. It came out in October and Heather Locklear plays me. And that was a really, really fun surprise. Um, I, you know, you, you never know who they're <laughs> going to cast as you. So she and I actually became very good friends through the process. That's awesome. And that, and that was kind of a cool secondary story that the media picked up on was this friendship that was birthed mm. from her playing me. And we're friends today. You know, I'm, I, when I go to LA, I go and I stay at her house and, and hang out with her for a night. And 
she's a sweetheart, you know, just a really wonderful, wonderful lady. Yeah. And I was shocked. I mean, I, I, you know, those things you never think are really going to happen because Hollywood kind of is very fickle. And so I I didn't really think it was going to happen until it was really happening. (laughs) (laughs) And then it happened really fast. So. And what was, what was that like for you? Like, what is it like for you to have, have your story on the big screen? Yeah, you know, it, it's, I mean, it was really fun. I had this great party. I had um, 150 of my all-time favorite people at the mm. premiere, the, a theater in Arinda where Richard grew up, played it, and it was on the marquee, and, oh and I had a red carpet, and uh-huh. Heather, and all the stars came, and, you know, that was probably the best part, except <laughs> that it was, it so was really cool. hard to watch it with all the people around the mm. first time that was really hard for me and my girls. So, um, because we hadn't seen it before. So, um, oh, so it was they, the first time you saw it with all, yeah, the, oh, with all wow. these people around. So I was just like, like, a, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. but, um, after I thought about it, I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible experience because mm-hmm. it gave me a chance to sort of review and they took a lot of dialogue right from conversations that I had with Richard. And of course, some of it is, it's, um, it's, if some of it is, you know, adapted to the, the movie because movies don't, they can't actually have you do everything in location because it's too expensive. You know, they had, they work with budgets and all of that. And I found myself, but really feeling like, wow, they really captured us. They captured mm-hmm. our relationship. They captured the messiness of grief without making it too sad. Mm-hmm. I was a lot messier actually in, in real life. <laughs> 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 so you watch the movie, it's a lot messier. <laughs> yeah, so, but um, I, I thought it was great. And I really, I think a lot of people who are Don't Sweat the Small Stuff fans are really love it. You know, it might be a little boring for somebody else. Like that's not a Don't Sweat the Small Stuff fan. I mean, I could kind of see like some people watching it and going, okay, this is just like, I don't even know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I think if you, if you really love relationship and marriage and, you know, and family, then you're going to love this movie. Mm, that's well, congratulations awesome. congratulations that. that's for sure amazing thank you and reinvention you know one of the things the timeline was kind of fictionalized but one of the things they picked up on which i'll just chat about because it's very relatable to the topic of reinvention was when i wrote don't sweat the small stuff for women you know that was that was my first time coming out as a solo author and richard was actually alive when i did that but I didn't, I was very full of self-doubt and a lot of fear. You know, I, I had to, you know, kind of step out of the shadows and stand up next to him with the first book we wrote together, which was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love. And then they asked me to write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women. And quite frankly, I really didn't want to do it. Hmm. I was like, I really don't want to do it. I, I was scared. You know, I didn't want to go out and be on a national media tour and you know, I'm like, people would say, I thought people would say, who are you? You know, like, you're just his wife, you know? <laughs> and, and, and it was frightening, you know, and I, I had to really call on all my inner strength to do that and, and to allow myself to step into those, step into the spotlight, you know, during that time. So that was in the movie, which was kind of, it was kind of fun, like to see, even though they changed the timeline of it, but it, it was the same story. So. That's amazing. Well, and we've talked about that 
imposter syndrome, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, and no it's matter real. who you are or who, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the question, who am I to, right? Oh, yeah, every time I attack a bag of kettle chips, I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> I think, oh my God, you shouldn't be doing this. You're that's just so unhealthy. <laughs> so we all have imposter syndrome. Yes, we seriously. Do. Seriously. Oh, yes. Or when I or when I binge on Netflix for like two days, I'll sit in my bedroom and I'll just turn on a Netflix series and I'll just go through the whole thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think people would never know how much TV I watch. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. people say things about people who watch TV and I just like start sliding down. <laughs> I'm like, I love a secrets of Christine Carlson. Just, it's the I, next... know, I love to disappear in a great Netflix series. You and me both uh-huh. all the way. What, what are what are two of your favorites? Because everybody wants to know. Ooh. Well, okay, so uh, one I've watched three times <laughs> is I have um, a feeling I know what you're gonna say, but I'll I'll wait. Oh, the Queen's Gambit. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, love that. the Queen's okay. Gambit. And you, you're not going to believe this, but I love Peaky Blinders. Oh, that I that? love that one, too. I, I just like that. to listen to them talk. Yeah, I know. I, love, I thought that was a little violent, but I really loved Peaky it's Blinders. It's a little love, extra. You know, I like but that um, main I character. Like the Game of good. Thrones, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, just anything period piece I love. Um, Downton Abbey. I mean, all of those okay. are just, they're just That's great. So. Bridgerton? You know, Bridgerton was a little bit like a Harlequin romance for yeah, me. Yeah. I, I was a little bit like, you know, I mean, it was okay. I, w- I wasn't, you know, I think if I was super sex starved, I would have loved Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> Make no comment, Jules. No comment, Jules. At the time, so... <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not into this. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That is awesome. I thought you were going to say Ted Lasso. That you'd watch that a couple times. I don't know Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso? Uh-uh. But Ted oh. Lasso's not Netflix. Maybe that's why. Oh, well, no, right. I, mean, I, I watched, oh, oh, you know what? Ted Yellowstone. Lasso. Mm-hmm. Yellowstone was great. And so was Secession. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Ted I mean, Lasso. Think- put that on your list. Yeah, totally. Okay. It's a good and one. The Affair. Mm-hmm. I love The Affair. And, you know, like there's just so many. Like, oh, <laughs> oh and, and my all-time favorite is Outlander. Oh, yeah. Somebody just my asked friend me Nina. about that. Nina Batson. Loves Outlander. <laughs> loves Outlander. <laughs> See, uh-huh. so now you know I've watched them all. <laughs> okay. We have a whole list. Have, so not, not that should go in the show notes, right. too. <laughs> what to What watch. to binge on. <laughs> I just feel like... Netflix wants me to watch all of them or they wouldn't have put them all together in one. Right? <laughs> right? You don't even have to hit a button. It's just next episode right. in just five, goes. four, three, two, one. There. Thank you. Right. I don't have yeah. to move up from my kettle chips. I can just sit right there. <laughs> oh, get, get, get some skinny popcorn in there. No kettle chips. I, exactly. I only, I, I only buy kettle chips in small bags because I won't stop eating them. <laughs> They are very addicting. That's salt. Mm. Yeah. Christine, we are so excited um, to have had this time with you. I know that everybody who listens, this will be exactly what they needed to hear in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing your story with us and everyone. 
Um, thank you for sharing your your top binge worthy shows. Yeah. It's very important because that is also important too. <laughs> right? We As are. you're trying to reinvent yourself, okay. In oh. between, take a minute. <laughs> take a minute. Uh, to watch Outlander. Mm-hmm. Yes. So thank you so much for all of the things and all of the work that you and Richard have, have done. And um, and that you are doing on your own in, mm-hmm. in, in this chapter of your life as a writer, as a, as a grandmother. I mean, oh. Talk about reinvention, right? You get to just love them up and spoil them and give them back, right? (laughs) It's it's ideal. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Thank you so much, ladies. It's been wonderful chatting with you today. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. Tell Heather we said hello. Yes. I will. I will. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of hernextchapter.co. You can follow us on Instagram at hernext.chapter. And you can find all of our lovely, fun, fabulous podcasts on all those places where podcasts can be found. Please follow us and give us five stars. We'd be so delighted and tickled. And we hope that you are enjoying your time with us. Last but not least hernextchapter.co. You can check us out there as well. See you next week.